into John chapter 18, the Gospel of John chapter 18. I'm going to start a short series on a subject that I haven't spoken on for quite some time, and that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you that you have made us a part of your kingdom. And Father, help us to understand a little bit more deeply what that's all about and uh, what effect it has on us and what our responsibilities are being a part of your kingdom. So please send the Holy Spirit here today to help us. And uh, in all things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when Jesus uh, was on trial before his crucifixion, most of us know the story. Uh, he came before a ruler named Pontius Pilate, and they had a very interesting conversation at the time. And in the conversation, Jesus claimed to be king. He was asked the question, are you king? And Jesus said that he was the king. But this is what he said in John 18 and in verse 36. He said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate was concerned. He didn't want any competition to his rulership that he had been given, the authority he had been given ruling in that area. So he was concerned that Jesus was going to rebel and start a rebellion and challenge Pilate. But Jesus reassured him by saying, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world. So we know that Jesus is the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He uh, is our Savior, our Redeemer, by dying on the cross. But sometimes we kind of minimize the concept of Jesus being a king and that he rules a kingdom. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, remember when John the Baptist began to introduce Jesus, the promised Messiah. This is what he said about Jesus, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So he was introducing Jesus. Jesus was about to begin his personal ministry on earth. And he, John the Baptist doesn't say, repent, for the Messiah is near. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Because Jesus came representing the kingdom of heaven, or the, the kingdom of God. He came to establish it. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is the rule of God. This theme is central to Jesus' teaching and is mentioned 50 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. So Jesus was in the process of establishing his kingdom on earth when he came, when he was born in Bethlehem. 
That's why he had come to earth. So what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven all about? It's referred to both ways. The kingdom of heaven is the way it's referred to in the book of Matthew because he was writing to the Jews and or Jewish Christians and they did not like to say the name of God. So he called it the kingdom of heaven. But the other gospel writers called it the kingdom of God. They had no problem with using God's name like that. Now, how is a kingdom established generally in this world? Well, do you remember the video we watched on how the Romans came in 70 AD and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple? We showed that video and they came in and established their kingdom in the Holy Land by power. They brought armies in. They surrounded the city. They held it captive. Uh, they put up a siege to starve the people into submission. And then they used battering rams and men with spears and men with arrows. And if they didn't surrender, they would literally kill every person. In this world, that's the way a kingdom is established. And you know what? That's the way the Jews expected the promised Messiah to come and establish the kingdom of God. And that's why the apostles were confused by Jesus. That's what they expected him to be, a conquering general to come in and set up the kingdom of God on earth. And that's why, for the most part, the Jewish people rejected Jesus as the Messiah because he didn't live up to their expectations. Jesus was going to go about it in a totally different way. It wasn't going to be a matter of power. It wasn't going to be a matter of armies. And remember when Jesus ended his ministry, he rose from the dead, and sometime after that, he was going to ascend back up to heaven. And the apostle said to him, wait a minute, you can't leave. You didn't establish your kingdom. But you know what he did? But he did it in a different way. So the Roman Empire and other empires established rule by force. Military power defeated the inhabitants of a land and the Romans or any other nation, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, established their kingdom by force. But what Jesus is saying here is that this is different. I want to turn to Luke 17. And we need to learn, too, by our reading in God's word, exactly how the kingdom of God has been established. Luke 17 and in verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, listen, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. So what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God is not established by military force. It is established inside people when they believe and accept Jesus as their savior. Wow. 
You talk about different. <laughs> that is different. Because it, in Jesus' time, and even today, when you look at the Russians, and you look at the Americans, and you look at the Ukrainians, and the Chinese, it's all about force. Setting up their power by force. But Jesus chose a totally different mind-expanding way to establish a kingdom. To establish it invisibly, if you will, inside the hearts of people. That's different. That is totally different. So God in his kingdom, as king of his kingdom, reigns in the hearts of believers and that reign involves a gentle control without denying the free will of the believer until a total transformation takes place in their lives. And if you are a believer, and most all of you are, that is what's happening right now in your self. The kingdom of God has been established in your heart. And I don't mean the literal physical organ. I'm talking about your heart as being the center of your emotion, your thinking, your plans, everything. God is now at work inside you, invisibly, because people can't see it. You know, you can't go up to somebody and say, well, the kingdom of God exists in my heart right now. I'll say, well, let me see the x-ray. I'd like to see that. No, it's invisible, but it's real. My life has changed since I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He has come to dwell in my heart, and he is the king of his kingdom, and that's where his kingdom exists in me. And like I said, then begins a gentle lead by him, not denying our free will. Because don't forget, we're still stubborn to a great extent, aren't we? with that human nature carnality stuff that we're still battling. And sometimes Jesus is trying to lead us and the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us in the right way and we're kicking in our heels saying, well, no, I don't, I don't think I want to do that right now. But he doesn't leave. He continues his gentle lead and control. We are under the control of Jesus as much as we will let that control happen because like I said, we're still stubborn sometimes. So it's not a land that Jesus came to rule. It's not a continent. It doesn't involve cities that he came to rule. The human heart is the realm in which Jesus came to rule. He came, and again, not just for one people, not just for one nation. Like the Jews thought that his rule was going to be just them. He was going to make Israel the greatest nation on the face of the earth with all the blessings, all the greatness and power. But again, they were disappointed because the Messiah came not just for one nation. He came for all people. He came for all mankind to love him so that he could change them into his very likeness. He already loves them, everybody. And the kingdom was set up as a means for people to come to love God and put themselves under his control. And he is in the process of changing them. 
And that change is going to take place continually into Jesus' second coming, when then a physical change is going to take place from physical to glory. And I'm sure the change will continue to happen throughout eternity. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. That's why a lot of people don't understand it. They think of kingdoms in human, physical terms. Let's turn to John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said something else about this kingdom. He explains to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who came with a question. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus didn't understand. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from nor where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So to become a member of the kingdom of God in this day and age, right now, it, it's happening. It takes for a person to first humble themselves, realize that they need a savior, and ask Jesus Christ to be their savior. Amen. And at that point in time, they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, our tradition, as it teaches in the Bible, is when a person comes to that point, for them to be baptized with water and to receive the Holy Spirit at that time, which they do, which most all of us have. And that's when you actually become a member of the kingdom of God. You're born again. You're, you're born anew into a new life, into God's kingdom. That's when it takes place. And it's an invisible event. In other words, they see you go into the water, they see the ministers pray over you and perhaps lay hands upon you, they don't see the Holy Spirit, they don't see an instant change, a radical change of some kind, you're still the same person except totally wet and drenched because you were just immersed, but it's invisible, but it's real. Amen. Quite different from normal kingdoms of, of the world. This is a totally radical and different way to become a member of the kingdom of God, but this is the only way it can be done. It can be done. And then begins your changes in your life, the gradual, gentle changes that Jesus brings about in your life. So Jesus is saying to understand the kingdom of God or to experience it, a person must be renewed by the Holy Spirit. 
The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical or a civil organization like governments of the world are. So this is something that has happened to most all of us who are believers, who have made a commitment to Jesus Christ as our Savior, who were baptized, who received the Holy Spirit. You are now officially a member of the kingdom of God. And that's the only way it can happen. The only way it can happen. You can't go someplace and sign up, sign a form <laughs> somewhere. It's not done that way. You know, we as uh, Americans have our American passports, and if we want to travel, we got to sign up for visas and that sort of thing and prove who we are and where we're from. Uh, none of that in the kingdom of God. We don't do any paperwork unless a pastor wants you sign, to sign you up as an official member of a congregation. But the kingdom of God is different. Turn with me now to Philippians 3. So we, for all intents and purposes, each of us have dual citizenships now. We have a physical citizenship, uh, members of the United States, we're Americans, we call ourselves Americans, but there's something else now, greater in our lives. We are members of the kingdom of God. And I think first and foremost, uh, that should be the priority in our lives. When we think of ourselves, we should think of ourselves first and foremost as members of the kingdom of God. I heard a story one time about a church, uh, and they got, as you see over there, um, an American flag, and the flag in the middle is, quote unquote, Christian flag. I don't remember who instituted that one. It may have been a particular denomination. But this church had a flagpole out in front, and uh, they had the American flag on top, and they had the Christian flag beneath it. And a big uproar happened in the church because one member in particular said, well, being who we are, doesn't our Christian citizenship come first? Shouldn't the Christian flag be on top and the American flag be on the bottom? And then the pastor was thinking, well, this is going to cause an uproar as people drive by the church and they see the American flag underneath another flag. Well, by all intents and purposes, we're Christians first and Americans second. But after giving it a lot of thought, the pastor finally took both flags down from the flagpole. <laughs> he said, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So, you know, you have your own thoughts on that. But that's what happened in that particular church. Notice what Paul says here in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 18. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship... Our citizenship is in heaven. We get so tied up in the physical things, and you know, we're all proud to be Americans. We love living in this country, but we're different. We have dual citizenship. Which one takes priority? He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So once we become members of the kingdom of God, that is our destiny. That's what Jesus is doing, gently leading us in that direction. And he will continue to do it. He'll never leave us or forsake us until that becomes a reality. We'll be changed in an instant into the likeness of Jesus Christ, glorified. So we can't lose sight of that. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ in this fallen world. Do you know what an ambassador is? It's a person living in a foreign country, representing his or her home country in a foreign country. So in a sense, we're sojourners in this world, representing first and foremost the kingdom of God, but then also having the blessing of living in America and enjoying the freedoms we still have here. So we're ambassadors for Christ living in this fallen world. He is the one who we give control to in our lives. He is the one changing us until we are brought to glory. So I don't know how often we consider ourselves like that, that we're actually living in a foreign country because things have changed for us. All who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, who have been born again, that change has taken place. You know, I had the blessing of attending an international university years ago. I went to a college, a university, where there were people from all around the world. And that was eye-opening for me. Because I'm like a lot of you, I'm originally from Ohio, or some of you are originally from Western Pennsylvania. And a lot of the people who live around these parts of the country don't get out of this area very much in their lifetime. Some do, but I've met a lot of people since coming around here who have not traveled much at all. They're just familiar with this part of the country. And it's eye-opening when you come in close contact with people from not only other parts of this country, but other countries in the world. Because you hear languages, you hear accents that you haven't heard before. You see customs uh, that you are not familiar with. You know, I remember growing up and we had our certain table manners around the house as I was growing up. And at this college, I started to share meals in the cafeteria with people from countries like England. And I was really blown away by how, you know, simple things they would do at the table, how they would handle their knife and fork and how they would eat, you know, off these utensils. It was different from what I was used to. And I felt like a total slob. These people had a lot of culture, you know, but it was different. It was different. And I can also tell by watching and listening to people, you know, where they're from. And I like to guess where somebody's from because I hear their accent. I was in Five Guys the other day, and they had a new woman working behind the counter, and she had an accent. And I said, you sound like you're from uh, Carolina. She says, yes, I am. She had just the sweetest accent. So you can tell. But you know what, too? I can also usually tell by watching and listening to a person whether they're a Christian. Can't you? You know, you work with certain people and you think, 
wow, they're, they're pretty rough. But then here's another person who's very forgiving, very patient, very loving, you know, offering maybe to pray for you or something like that. You think, I'm sure that person's a Christian. Just, I can tell, just by the way they are. They have God's Holy Spirit. I think we should be able to tell when we come across somebody who is a member of the kingdom of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God. I think it should show. I know God knows who they are, but sometimes we can, we can tell too. I want to read a story about a, a minister, short story. He was also a missionary, and he's telling a story here about uh, traveling to another part of the world. He says, in 1990, I was invited into Eastern Europe to do a series of lectures in three countries, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, and finally Romania. As we were leaving Hungary, we were warned that the border guards in Romania were quite hostile to Americans and that we should be prepared to be hassled and possibly even arrested at the Romanian border. Sure enough, he says, when our rickety train reached the border of Romania, two guards got on. They couldn't speak English, but they pointed for our passports, then pointed to our luggage. They wanted us to bring our bags down from the luggage rack and open them up, and they were very brusque and rude. Then suddenly their boss appeared, a burly officer who spoke some broken English. He noticed that one of the women in our group had a paper bag in her lap, and there was something peeking out of it. The officer said, what's this? What's, what's in bag? Then he opened the bag and pulled out a Bible that one of our women was carrying. I thought, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. The officer began leafing through the Bible, looking over the pages very rapidly. Then he stopped and looked at me. I was holding my American passport, and he said to me, you know American. And he looked at my wife and said, you know American. He said the same thing to the others in our group, but then he smiled and said, I am not Romanian. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. And since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God is everywhere. By now we were quite confused, but he pointed to, at the text, the Bible, gave it to me and said, read what it says. I looked at it and it said, Philippians 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. The guard was a Christian. He turned to his subordinates and said, let these people alone, they're okay, they're Christians. As you can imagine, I said, thank you, Lord. This guard, who was a Christian, understood something about the kingdom of God, that our first place of citizenship is in the kingdom of God. So, our citizenship in the kingdom of God which we have all received by our believing in Jesus Christ and claiming him as our savior, trumps any other citizenship we may have. If we're from Romania, if we're from America, no matter where we're from, that citizenship in the kingdom of God is the strongest thing that we have. It holds us together as people. It, uh, 
It is invisible. It's in the heart. But it is very real. It is very real. So when we look at people, we have the tendency to judge them by their accent, maybe by the color of their skin, by other things that separate us one from another. But when we focus on the kingdom of God, which all believers are a part of, and how do we know if somebody's a member of the kingdom of God? Like I said, often our actions and the words that we say and how we say them gives us away. We are living and we are demonstrating something invisible. We're members of an invisible kingdom and we don't wear any special flags or colored clothing or anything like that to uh, tell people who we are, but we tell them who we are by the way we live our lives, by the way we treat others. We're demonstrating an invisible kingdom by the visible things that we do in our lives. So never lose sight of that. The kingdom of God is a very real kingdom established by Jesus Christ. You know, even though the apostles were disappointed thinking that he was going to leave and not establish the kingdom, he did establish the kingdom. But it is established in people's hearts. Totally different kingdom than what this world is used to. But we walk this earth now as representatives of the kingdom of God, as uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And we already know how we're supposed to act, don't we? We read this book and it tells Jesus demonstrated it for us. So this is part one of the kingdom of God, how it was established, what it's all about. Next week I want to look at some parables of the kingdom of God because Jesus goes further in explaining to us what this kingdom is all about and what our responsibility is. But now we're going to take a few moments and have our communion service. <clears throat> and as we do on a monthly basis, we come together as Jesus instructed us at the Last Supper. And he knew it was important for us to have a reminder of who we are and what we're to be about in this, in this world. And uh, he sat together with the apostles at the Last Supper and instituted these symbols. First of all, bread which represented Jesus himself, and his broken body, which he gave for our sins. So in order for us to be members of the kingdom of God, we had to have our sins forgiven and uh, have the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to us so uh, we can be allowed to be a part of it, and we are a part of it. So we remember Jesus' suffering and how his body was broken. Uh, he took on the punishment that we were deserving. So we remember that when we come to the table. And also the fruit of the vine represents his shed blood. It's a perfect, beautiful symbol because it looks like blood. And as we drink that, we take in and acknowledge Jesus' shed blood. It was by his shed blood that our sins can be forgiven. So the total sacrifice that he offered for us at his beating and finally crucifixion applies to us and every time we come forward and we take these symbols we're reminded of his mercy and his grace toward us we're so undeserving but nevertheless he loved the world so much that he gave himself 
to pay the penalty for our sins. And it's God's desire that all come to that point in their lives and claim Jesus as their Savior, repent of their sins, and look to him for guidance in their lives, leading ultimately to a total change from physical to spiritual glorification. That's God's desire for all. And here we are now as his representatives, as his ambassadors, representing the kingdom of God. That's why it's so important that we're always aware of how we live, how we treat other people, because we're making an invisible kingdom visible. So we invite you all to come forward and to partake of the symbols, and uh, we'll have a blessing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful ceremony, a practice that you gave us to just remind us who we are and what our responsibility is. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die on our behalf. That was just a starting point for each and every one of us. And having come to a knowledge by hearing the gospel of what you've done for us and helping us to humble ourselves to the point we know we need a savior and we've chosen Jesus to be our savior and we know now that you dwell in us and you're gently leading us in the path you'll have us to go. Even though we're stubborn sometimes and don't want to do it, you're there helping us and strengthening us along the way. Making us a part of this great, invisible, spiritual kingdom that Jesus instituted. And Father, we desire and determine to be in it for the, for the long run. <laughs> Until Jesus returns and our total change comes. When we're changed in an instant from physical to glorified. Father, we know that this is a wonderful plan you've got for us, and we just feel honored to be a part of it. So thank you, Father. As we come forward now, please bless all who come forward and just remind us of our identity and our responsibility as your children. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.